Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 108 with our guest, Nancy Levin. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey guys, thanks for joining us. You're tuned right into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. Do you feel that going after what you want is selfish? Would you like to set healthy boundaries without all the guilt? How about being able to retire your people-pleasing and overachieving ways? On the outside, your life looks perfect, but deep down inside, you know that something is off. You feel dissatisfied and unfulfilled. You have a momentary thought that maybe you could make a change, but in the end, you don't dare rock the boat, afraid that if you did, you would disappoint everyone. Worse yet, if they found out who you really were, no one would love you. Sound familiar? That was certainly my world for such a long time. And our guest today has the antidote to all that. And she's the best-selling author of Jump and Your Life Will Appear, Worthy, Boost Your Self-Worth to Grow Your Net Worth, and The New Relationship Blueprint. She's a master in, she's a master in, Integrative. Let me try that. She's a master integrative life coach and the creator of Destination Me private coaching community, guiding clients to live life on their own terms. She was also the event director at Hay House from 2002 to 2014 and now hosts her own weekly call in radio show, Jumpstart Your Life on. Hey House Radio. We are about to discover the steps to make your needs a priority. Our guest wants you to rock that damn boat and put yourself first. I'm excited. Welcome, Nancy Levin. How are you, Nancy? I'm great, Josh. Happy to be here with you. I appreciate that. Likewise, I feel like we have such a, uh, a similar message, and it's always great to get uh, different perspective from people. The perspective I want to start with you is I want to hear how you really define the difference between selfish and selfless. Because I know that they're two completely different things, right? But I think we sometimes confuse the two. What do we need to know about those two differences? So for me, selfish gets a really bad rap. 
and I am all about reclaiming selfish. And I say often that I think selfish, self-care, and self-love are three sisters whose job it is to support you in honoring yourself. So selfish is about self-honoring. Selfless, to me, is about the way we put ourselves on the back burner. And selfless is the way that we end up overgiving. The way that we end up, <clears throat> excuse me, the way that we end up putting everyone and everyone else's needs ahead of ours, the way that we go into self-abandonment. And yet, selfless has sort of, you know, angels and birds swimming around it. So if I understand all this, you're saying we have to reverse that. Selfish is actually what you want to embrace. But yes. you, as I love this. You said the word selfish. I know everybody hears selfish and immediately you're thinking, no, no, no. I don't like those people. I don't want to be those people. But you're here to say, no, you must become selfish in its true form and definition in order to thrive and survive. Yeah. So here's the thing. Any... Any quality that we disown, any quality that we push away is going to show up around us in the people, in the people closest to us. Go ahead. Tell me more. So, yeah. So here's the thing. The longer I disown selfish, I'm not selfish. I don't want to be selfish. No, I'm not. No, I'm not that. I will draw selfish people toward me. I will draw toward me people who I will point the finger at and think he is so selfish, she is so selfish, to hold a mirror up to me of what I have been disowning in myself. So it's an invitation always to look at what do I need to actually own and integrate so that I'm not triggered by the quality in other people. We could do this with any quality you want to name, we could do this with. You know, the big one for me was lazy. You know, really triggered by lazy. I'm not lazy. What do I do? I marry a man who's like the dictionary definition of lazy. And what I have to find is my version of the quality. So my version of lazy, my version of selfish. And I have to own and integrate it that way. I've got compassion for these qualities that I want to push away, that I want to, that I want to disidentify from. And I will no longer be activated by the people in my life who exhibit these qualities because I recognize that there is a healthy version. So what I want to say about this is to remember that we are, we are everything. So we are selfish and selfless. You know, we are lazy and we are active or responsible, whatever word you want to use as an opposite. We are always all the qualities. Any quality we see in another exists within us. We need to actually take a stand and own the quality. Let me use your specific lazy example as, as a real example and see how we yeah. can apply that. So um, you used to feel triggered and repelled by that quality 
that you attracted it. Is this to say that like we all are, you, you are and were lazy, but for all kinds of, or, or you know, a portion of you right. really embodied that, but for all kinds of other reasons, you repelled it and then you wind up attracting it. So the, so the, um, the solution is to accept your version of it and say, okay, well, I am in this form and it's, and it's okay. Yes. Yes. So for me, you know, for me, I had to separate, we have to separate out the behavior from the quality. This is the trickiest part for people. So for example, you know, I was, I, you know, my ex-husband textbook lazy, he didn't want to work. So it was really easy for me to be like, well, I'm not lazy. I work like a dog. Quite frankly, I'm a workaholic. And what all of that is, the overworking, the hyper-responsibility is an overcompensation for the existence of lazy within me. Mm. No one will see my lazy. So if I am then able to go within and say, okay, what does my own lazy look like? My lazy looks like on a Tuesday afternoon when it's gorgeous out, I lay on my couch and binge watch five episodes of my favorite show. And that's okay, right? That's okay because there's a gift. The gift of my lazy is I get to rest. I get to rejuvenate. I get to laugh. I get to cry. And being able to relate to it instead of a negative or positive, but being able to relate to any of these qualities as neutral and, rem- and just remembering our humanness. And I'll tell you, for many years of my life, my humanness was my very least favorite quality. <laughs> but, and really recognizing the lengths to which I went to overcompensate for, for the humanness, for the lazy, mm. for whatever the quality might be. Let's go back now to the selfish for people putting themselves first and the need to really prioritize that. This is in the um, stereotypical sense. This is on the airplane when they say with the oxygen mask, put yours on first before assisting others. It's that theory that you are of no help or assistance to anybody if you're not helping or assisting yourself first. So going to the selfish aspect. What does this really mean that we need to, what, carve out our own time? We need to do what we feel is necessary. We need to eat right or exercise or sleep more or is, is that what we need to do? Yeah. It's all of those things, but it begins with the seed of really checking in with ourselves first instead of checking in with everyone else first. What does that look like? So even to the, you know, literally the two, the two questions to ask yourself, what is the most self-loving action I can take today? What is the most self-honoring choice I can make today? To start there, first thing in the morning, begin there, to begin the practice of exercising the muscle of what does it look like if I check in with myself first instead of checking in with everyone else. Now, the easiest way to sort of talk about this is around, you know, codependency is a big buzzword. And so really what codependency is, is checking in with someone else first, (laughs) you know, checking in with someone else's weather to see what's happening inside of me. 
letting letting someone else's mood determine my own letting some wanting someone else to in some way regulate me it also looks like the way that we're so used to acquiescing or deferring to someone else's preferences or desires or needs and this can even be something as simple as where do you want to go to dinner i don't care where do you want to go and that is most often the answer that people give instead of i want sushi let's go you know or, and from there there can be a conversation and a collaboration but it seems we're so willing to acquiesce because we're fearful of conflict because we don't want to rock the boat because we want harmony at all cost but here's the thing harmony at all cost comes at a really high cost and it comes at a really high cost of sacrifice us. right we're yeah. sacrificing everything right right and so i'm not you know I, I really want to shift away from this idea of sacrifice and even compromise and reframe it in collaboration so that it can be a conversation, so that it's not about I have to get my way or you have to get yours. And understanding that, you know, any, any relationship, whether it's intimate partnership, whether it's family, coworkers, whatever, any relationship that's healthy has a container that can hold the truth of the people involved. I, I, I'm literally getting the chills because for the past few years, at least, I am living and breathing this environment coming from, oh, I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want conflict. I didn't want I, I couldn't, you know, harmony was only there if I seceded and, you know, right. gave, gave away all of my right. power and ability. Hey, whatever you say, whatever you want. Yeah, I, I'm all for that. And my fear uh, that I justified was that if I dare rock the boat in whatever way that looks, like you said, intimate relationships, personal relationships, social environments, or business uh, I feared that people would retaliate, right? That they would come at me with all of this aggression because I dare stick up for myself, put in my two cents, any of that. And what's magnificent, as you pointed out, when you're able to take this other path, these people not only don't retaliate, a whole new set of incredible, loving, brilliant people come around you and support you. Like now, I don't even see any negative people that I was attracting because that's where my focus was. As yeah. you pointed out with the lazy ex-husband, you resisted that, so yet you attracted that. That happens across the board. Nobody is retaliating or negative in my world. Now I'm just surrounded by beautiful people like you, Nancy, who are, who are the force field because I'm stepping into this and I'm doing it and it works. Yeah, I mean, the craziest thing is that, you know, we, we all think that there is something we have to hide in order to be loved and, loved and accepted. Go. We all think that we have to hide, whether it's, a skeleton in the closet secret, or whether it's some part of ourselves. But we think we have to hide something in order to be loved and accepted. The thing that we think of, if, if they knew this about me, they wouldn't love me or accept me. 
And the craziest thing is that we're also all running around saying, I just want to be loved for who I am. And we can't be loved for who we are unless we're willing to reveal the truth of who we are. So true. I mean, my mind is is there. It's it's spinning uh, in 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 recognition of this. I want to now relate this to uh, business and our worth, because the way yeah. you put it, our self worth is directly tied to our net worth. And I love this again because I'm experiencing it for the first time in my life. Right, decades where. Oh my God, I wasn't making the kind of money that I knew in my heart and soul and mind and physical being that I was capable of. And that's what became so frustrating. I'm like, why isn't this working? And it never worked. Uh, so I would always then go and try to do something external to make it work. But it's, it's the self-worth, right? Uh, this translates to all kinds of things like uh, undercharging, yeah. uh, not increasing prices, not charging anything, not charging enough, not making enough. You're all about this as well. So uh, bring us into this world. I love this idea. Yeah. I mean, so for me, what I really see is that this... First of all, what I would say is that, you know, we all come, we, we come into this world and in our childhood, we have significant events that shape us. And out of those significant events, we start to draw conclusions about ourselves. So we're too young to process and digest what's happening in a healthy way. So we, we, make, we make things mean something about us. Mm. And this is the foundation of where these limiting beliefs are formed. And again, they're not necessarily conscious. We don't know that we're forming them until we're already, you know, we're, we're moving into our lives and we realize that, well, what I'll say is our beliefs are magnetic. <laughs> and I... And we will draw toward us what will reinforce and corroborate what we believe. We have it backwards. We think something outside of ourselves is going to have us feel worthy or whatever it might be. And yet it's an inside job. So I, I believe that all of these beliefs, the, the beliefs that sound like I'm not good enough, I'm not enough, I'm not lovable, there's something wrong with me, all funnel into really the singular belief, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of joy. I'm not worthy of money. I'm not worthy of happiness, whatever. I'm not worthy of success, whatever it might be. And so we're going through our lives with this, whatever flavor or version of I'm not worthy. And then we're getting that reinforced. And then we're looking for what will have us feel worthy. So we start to, the way I like to put it is I, I, we attach our worthiness to someone else's wagon. You know, we're putting our, our worthiness in someone else's hands. We're letting someone else be the determiner and governor of our worth. And, you know, for me, for much of my life, it was around achievement. It was around producing. It was around doing. You know, I knew my value and my worth when I was externally validated, when I was given approval, given applause. And so my worth and value were entirely tied up in what I did, 
And I had to make the transition to believing that my worth and my value is actually inherent in who I am, regardless of what I do or don't do. How does somebody listening make that transition? Because on paper, it's like, yes, yes, got it. Check. Let's go. How do I take that first step? Yeah. So here's here's what I'll say. We first have to understand that every single thing we're seeking externally needs to be resolved internally first. Go ahead. So, you know, I spent my entire career as an event producer for 20 years, the last 12 at Hay House, chasing the gold stars. And I got them, but no gold stars will ever be enough. Mm. So we will never be able to fill whatever the void is inside of us by something from the outside. So this is about getting deep truth within about what's real, about what am I, what lights me up, what feeds me if I'm not always in the role of caretaking others, chasing something from someone else, trying to get something from someone else, trying to give to get, you know, looking at, looking at that knee jerk. Yes. That all of us people pleasers know so well and really getting comfortable with the no. So the first step to everything I'm talking about is getting on the no train, really getting to the place where if a, if a request comes in, if I'm, if I'm not ready to say no right away, the only answer I can give is I'm going to think about it and I'll let you know tomorrow. But yes is not an answer because we give the yes from the place of avoiding the conflict or of wanting to be the superhero, wanting to be the savior, not wanting someone else to be disappointed, not wanting someone else to be angry. And if we keep saying yes from a place other than deep desire, we're abandoning ourselves. And we're, we are continuing to try to buy that approval and buy the validation and buy the sense of worth. So we have to start peeling these things apart. And I got to say, people, when you, because this takes practice, right? It but it's a shitload of practice. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and it starts, it starts with implementing it as soon as possible once and seeing the result. Yeah. And I got to tell you, saying no, um, especially in business, and you've heard it, it's like the most successful business people what is it? Say no 97% of the time. They just have to. And as my life gets more full, my days get more wonderfully full with the work I want to do. I'm realizing that I'm like, oh my God, there is no, even aside from people pleasing, even if I want to, I'm like, oh my God, I'd love to do that. But I don't have time and it's not really in line with when like earlier it could have been a yes for different reasons. But what I realize now is when you confidently say no to somebody, 
they don't retaliate. They don't get mad. They don't kick and scream. They actually respect you for it. And I've gotten that validation back over and over. When I say no uh, confidently and directly, they're like, hey, thanks for your candor. I appreciate that. I'll check back in or whatever it is. And it just works. There's, a, there, there's more respect. And guess what? I can then use that and say, son of a gun, that worked. And look at this. I <laughs> yeah. got more respect out of it. Imagine yeah. that. And I always wanted, re oh, nobody respects me. I just want to be respected. And yeah. now you're not even trying for it, but it's happening. Yeah. And you know, the, the big thing that I, that I coach my clients around is not only saying no, but saying no without an excuse or mm. a story or a song and a dance. We don't owe anyone an explanation around our truth and someone else's response to our truth isn't our responsibility to manage. Mm. And so from there, these, these are the ways in which we start to like reclaim these lost pieces of ourselves that we've been given away for so long. And from there, that sense of worth becomes so, I, it's literally like, I, it's, a, like it's, it's, in, it's internal and it's, it's rooted. And it then becomes the governor around the choices that we make, that sense of mm. worth, because every choice we're gonna make in our lives is gonna serve us or sabotage us. Say that again, please. Yes. <laughs> every choice we make, and we make hundreds of choices a day, right? <laughs> at least. Every choice, at least. Every choice we make is going to serve us or sabotage us. And I at least want us to be awake and conscious around the choices we make so that even if we make a sabotaging choice, we have awareness hmm. so that we can take responsibility. Do people have to wait for what feels like a crisis in order to, okay, now I'm ready because I have no other choice? People do not have to wait for that. I think many people do wait for that. Why and is that though? Why do so, people wait for yeah. Because I think people want to wait for an easy way out, but the easy way out is going to bite you in the ass in the end. You know, we, we don't want to be the one initiating change. We don't want to be the one initiating disruption. We don't want to be the one st uh, standing up for ourselves in such a way that there may be conflict. You know, most of us are so much more willing to keep taking the hit than have someone else possibly feel right, feel off balance or feel hurt. Mm. We, we're so, you, you know, here's the thing. No one is going to, no one's going to do it. We're the ones who can do the biggest number on ourselves. Like no one's going to judge us as harshly as we judge ourselves. We, we're so accustomed to the ways in which we live in some sort of discomfort or pain and we get numb to our own pain that we just keep thinking, oh, I'll just keep taking it. You know, I want to make sure everyone else has the big juicy steak or the big juicy tofu and I will eat the crumbs over the sink if there's anything left over. 
And yet we're waiting for this big crisis in our lives where we feel like, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm at the bottom. I, I've hit the end. That's it. But if you want to go deep for a moment, isn't it us that created that crisis because of the collective choices and actions we've made to that point? Yeah. And so, and here's the thing. We create chaos to avoid the truth. Ah, oh, so many poll quotes. Let's hear this again, please. We create <laughs> yeah, we chaos create to avoid, yeah, to avoid the truth. But here's the thing. The truth will come out and the truth will come out sideways. Instead so the, of what? Instead of? Instead of direct. So the truth will come out in illness. Oh. The truth will come out in self-sabotage. The truth will come out in some kind of debilitation. And it is self-created. It is the way that we keep the obstacles in the path. Because we are, even in our discomfort, we have comfort. We're comfortable with things as they are, even if they're bad. And we're not willing to take the risk for things to be better. So we create the chaos to avoid the truth. Yeah. Because as long as we can keep the blinders on, I mean, that's really, you know, when you said, like, do we have to wait for the crisis? The crisis is happening. <laughs> the crisis is, is, is alive and well in your life. Oh, yeah, it's there. It showed right. up. Right. It's there. And right. yet, you know, it's like the red flags, the blinders. It's like, what are all the things I can do so I don't pay attention? What are all the ways in which I am avoiding my truth? Drinking, eating shopping, working, exercising, you know, whatever it is, what is, we all have our go-to drug of choice. We all have our avoidance strategy. And we're and so it, good at it. We're so good at it. And, you know, we, it's that, it's literally that the pause, the time in between, you know, going to sort of the mindless of, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to feel or deal with this. So I'm going to go open the fridge. And it's like, what, what's happening in that, in the slow motion so that I can slow down and just see, okay, what's here? What am I avoiding? What don't I want to mm. feel or, or deal with? And what is the chaos I'm creating right now? And what is the truth? Let's connect this brilliantly yeah. to, to your upbringing. Take us back, if you will. What was life like growing up for you as a young child? Yeah, so for me, the really big significant event of my childhood was that I was born into what I call a mourning family, a grieving family. And I was born, my brother, who was a few years older than I, had been not had been not detected or diagnosed at birth per se but several months into his life was diagnosed with what they then called mental retardation he was completely incapacitated so you know there were no testing back then in the early 1960s and so it wasn't until he didn't roll over sit up do all the things babies are supposed to do that my parents had this awareness that something was wrong with him and so, you know, I was, I was swimming around in my mother's stuff 
And as we now know, there is, <clears throat> there is impact from that alone, you know, swimming around in her neuroses, her fear. And then when I was, when I was born, and my mother and I have had adult conversations about this. My mother said, when you were born, I consciously did not attach to you because I was waiting to see what would be wrong with you. Oh. And so, you know, that coupled with the fact that my brother was in the, the circumstances around his health were that, were, were that he was in dire need of care really at all times. So the imprint on me, now again, this, this wasn't me as a baby consciously understanding Correct. this. This right. is many years of, you know, of right. deep inner work. How did I but get really, here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying it for anyone listening who's Correct. Like, <laughs> right. Wow, you were advanced. Right, exactly. Like you were, old. right. Were you at Harvard at nine mm -hmm. months old? So you know, the, the imprint of this, of this event specifically, I've been able to sort of link it to the beliefs that have really driven the bus of my life around, there must be something wrong with me. And the belief that I need to be entirely self-sufficient and have no needs mm. because his needs are more important than mine. So these are really two fundamental beliefs that shaped me. And so what happened for me was uh, when he was six and I was two, he died. And then the imprint on me was around really trying to be more than just one child. So then the I'm not enough comes in. I need to be for my parents. I need to take up, I need to take up the slack. I need to be more. And I need to try to heal a grief in my parents that can never be healed. And so this is when, you know, for me, sort of the bending over backwards, the people pleasing, the 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 currency of, you know, trying to buy their love, buy their attention, buy their affection in order to heal their grief in such a way. Mm. And you know, I can take this all the way into, you know, the, I, I like to look at the, con the connecting of the dots, almost like the night sky, because I start to see it as like a constellation. I start to see, you know, every, I start to see just the map connect for me. You know, I can go right to the man that I married. And on the day that we met, it was as if he said to me, hi, I'm broken. And I said, great. I'm Superwoman. I can fix you. Who can't relate? Is this the lazy, lazy husband? Yeah, this is, yeah. <laughs> this is the lazy husband. Right. Yeah, you know, so it was, you know, it was right into, I couldn't save my broken brother, so to speak. Let me save my, this broken man. Let me come in and rescue. And let me try to heal. And let me, you know, let me come in with all of this. And from that place also coming in with the other belief around the needs you know as our as our relationship progressed as as we got married i was sublimating all my wants needs and desires in service of all of his and so really 
what happened was somewhere along the way, I disappeared. I lost my own life because I was so much more concerned with making sure that he had what he needed. And I was so willing to keep taking that hit of self-abandonment. Let me guess, you didn't fix him. <laughs> Hell no, because no one can fix anyone else. <laughs> Spoiler alert, right? He's Spoiler not alert. You didn't have I that ability. I healed myself and I got a divorce. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Was that the start of your, you know, I'm in this for myself, you're out, I'm in. And was that sort of event a, a good step in the direction for you? Yeah. So, I mean, I, the circumstances that led up to my divorce were, were really around the ways in which I was still so committed to presenting an image of perfection to the world and managing the perception of others. So I really only wanted to be seen through the lens that I gave you to see me through. And so to make a very long story short, I will, I will just say, and all the detail, all the gory details are in my book, Jump in Your Life Will Appear. Got it. But I will say that I, I set a bomb that detonated. And I blew up, I blew up my marriage be, in a way that because I, because, and I was creating chaos to avoid the truth and all the things I've been talking about. I, I know this from my own personal experience. And so the event of my, of my divorce was really more than anything, the first time in my life that I was really willing to tell the truth to myself first and foremost, that I was w willing to be brutally honest with myself. And that's where it has to begin before we can tell the truth to anybody else. And I was really living in that place of fear of exposure. You know, like we were saying before about yeah, we think we have to hide. So I was really living in that fear of exposure and my now ex-husband, you know, we were together 18 years. No one oh, knows wow. how to push your buttons the way someone you've been married to for 18 years does. So there was a lot in that, in that dynamic around exposure. What was some of the first steps internally for you that you, you did? What kind of work did you do yeah. for yourself? What did you, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the very first thing that I, that I did, you know, so here's the truth. You know, I was, I was at Hay House producing all of our live events around the world. Oh, already you are. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I was producing events with the greatest minds, the greatest authors, teachers, and Irony. I had a front row seat and a back row, you know, back row, backseat pass, whatever backstage pass to everything. And yet, all of it couldn't really land in me till I was really going through my dark night of the soul. And yet I also didn't want to, I was also very still in that place of very cautious about telling the truth. Hmm. And so I, the first thing that I did was at, for myself around this, around my, getting, getting my own healing was um, Debbie Ford, who was dear friend and became my teacher and mentor. Wow, I, I know her book, yeah. Yeah, I let her know what was going on and she said, you're coming to the event 
this week, literally like this weekend, you're coming to the event, you are not producing it, you are letting your staff produce it, you are sitting your ass in the chair and you're gonna do the work so that we can get you on the other side of this. And that was really the first part of my mobilization. And then what happened was, you know, I, I was well, at this point it was 2010. And so I'd been at Hay House a good long time and my job was my dream job. I never in a million years thought I would do anything else, but I was really drawn to Debbie and, and her coaching program. So I did her year long certification program, never ever thinking I would be a coach, never thinking I would leave my job. But on the other side of that coaching certification, I was literally unrecognizable from the woman who began it. And I realized, okay, I am here to help other people get free. And it's time for me to start thinking about trans transitioning out of this job. What is the title of that book? Because I, I referenced it. I, I just don't remember. That book is Jumping Your Life Will Appear. No, no, no. Uh, Debbie's oh. book. I'm sorry. Oh, Debbie's book. So sorry. Um, Dark Side of the Light Chasers. Yes. Dark yes. Side of the Light Chasers. Yes. Dark Side of the Light Chasers. Brilliant book. Yep. So um, fundamentally speaking, and then we can uh, connect other dots. Fundamentally speaking, what was it that you did that allowed you to do this? Was it about, you know, I just, I, I, I was ready and I had to be honest with myself. I had to uh, change my, my patterns and my habits, my thought process, anything like that? For me, what it, what it, you know, so I originally, you know, what I said before was it was about being able to tell the truth to myself and realizing that I have a choice here. I can either go back to sleep and keep hiding and keep protecting and keep preserving the image, the persona. And then you I, would attract uh, another guy potentially. Right. And then, right. yeah. You know, or I can actually step into me. I mean, that's really it. I yeah. can step into yeah. me. Yeah. And I can, I remember that one of the most significant things that happened that was shocking to me was how much more energy and resourced I felt when I didn't have to wear the mask and wear the cape and, re mm. and, and hold up this image. And what I recognized was that the people I feared revealing myself to the most were the ones who rallied around me the fiercest. Period. Imagine that. Imagine that. Yeah. And so, you know, it was really about admit to myself what I already know to be true, tell the truth to someone safe, and start, and then start beginning to look at what you know, this swings back around to the selfishness piece. What does my life look like if I'm not living from the place of reflecting someone else? If I'm not a chameleon, if I'm not trying to be what you want me to be, what does my life look like if I actually live from a place of preference and desire? And so back to selfish and back to boundaries. Boundaries simply being you know, knowing my non-negotiables, knowing my preferences, knowing my limits around what I will do or not do, accept or not accept, tolerate or not tolerate, plus boundaries being this potent formula for what I can consciously create and curate to bring into my life. Talking about your book, Jump 
and your life will appear. Magnificent title, so so vibrant, you, you can see it. And I'm sure so much of what you touched upon answers this question, but what, is that, what does that title really mean for us? What are you saying? Yeah, I'm, I'm really saying like, you gotta, you gotta take a risk. You, you gotta, you, you've, you've gotta do something different. You've gotta make one different choice in order to dissolve the obstacle because otherwise it's, you know, that definition of insanity, keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result. So the jumping is, you know, about really owning our choices, which we talked about earlier. You know, I always say that our present moment choice is, the crystal ball. It is going to predict our future. And we can make choices that are going to move us into the life we desire. But we have to be willing to make a different choice. We have to be willing to do something different. We have to be willing to set a boundary. We have to be willing to know what, what, what does it mean to live life on my terms? To me, that's the jump. And it's, it's absolutely amazing because in specifically for me, for my story, my journey, that is completely applicable less than a year ago, a year uh, next month in, uh, uh, in July will be one year since I launched this brand, The Hidden Entrepreneur, and this podcast uh, with my very first episode. Now I'm here recording episode 108 and still, thank you, and still going strong. Not only loving every minute of it, but when I started it, I didn't know what to expect. I right. just knew that was the greatest thing that I can do next, and I did. I said, you know what? it'll lead me somewhere. It'll get the ball rolling. I'll figure it out along the way. And boy, are there opportunities that I've grabbed that have grabbed me and continue to present itself that has, that has literally opened up everything that I, I couldn't see if I tried to, you know, plan it out on pen and paper. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, it, it works. You, you, you have to take that, uh, that step and that leap, right. To just uh, trust and have faith. I want to ask you this: the uh, this brand, the Hidden Entrepreneur, was founded on the uh, on the foundation that I I spent a lifetime hiding behind yeah. fear. Can you share a time with us where that you were you also found yourself hiding in fear, but you knew you had to work right through it? Yeah, I mean, I'll just I'll share the story that I that I was alluding to earlier. Um, just because I didn't want to take up so much time with it, but it's the story for me. Uh, so in, in 2008, I was traveling home from a Hay House event I, I had produced. And again, long story short is I was, I was basically coming home to the new, to the news that my, that my then husband let me know that he had read my journals. And hmm. I took precautions and I, and I gave myself an exit strategy, but I went to, I, I came to, I came home and talked to him and, you know, he held, as I walked in the door, he held up four of my journals. I had over 70 volumes. Oh he held up four of my journals and said, I'm going to make copies of pages and 
I'm going to send them to your parents, your sister, your friends, your coworkers, and let's see what they all think when they know the real Nancy. So as I said before, you know, this was the fear and this was the exposure Mm. and And in that moment, I knew I needed to make, I I knew I needed to make a choice. So it took me two years to leave the marriage because I want, I didn't want to disrupt the image. I didn't want, I didn't want to have to tell the truth to everybody. I didn't want everybody to know the truth and I wanted to keep the peace. So it took me two years to leave the marriage, but I left the house that night, went to a nearby hotel and the next morning, very early, he called me and said, if you're not home in a half an hour, I'm calling your parents and your sister. And I picked up the phone and called my parents because I knew he wasn't bluffing and I knew it was actually time for me to own, take ownership and take responsibility. So what I'll share here just to sort of connect a few other dots were that post my brother's death in my sort of teenage years, my parents were actually quite lenient. And I was the one who had to create for myself a really confining structure. I only felt safe inside of deprivation and restriction and restraint. So I graduated high school with perfect attendance to give you sort of the flavor of that. You know, I felt really, I felt safe inside of a container. So I went from that container I created for myself into the container of my now ex-husband's rage. And all the while trying to do everything I could to make everything be okay for him, which I can't do. So on this morning, very early, I get my parents on the phone and I say, we're probably getting divorced. And he says to me, and my, my mother says to me, um, my mother said to me, you know, what, why, what happened? And I, and I let her know that he read my journals and discovered that eight years ago I had an affair. And my mother said to me, I'm so sorry that you've been carrying this around for yourself by yourself for eight years. And in that moment, I knew that the dissolution of my marriage would be the great healing with my mother. And it was. And so The, the fear of revealing my truth was far outshined by what I gained in being able to be me, not have to hide, not have to live in the shame spiral, not have to manage everybody else around me. And what I very quickly realized was that, like I said earlier, no one judges us as harshly as we judge ourselves. Most people are far too engaged in their own lives to really, really care that much. (laughs) So So true. And most people actually want to support the healing as opposed to um, ingrain the suffering. Let me say it that way. 
Perfect. Most people want to support the healing instead of ingrain the suffering. Wow. So much beauty there. Thank you for sharing all that with You're us. Welcome. Incredible. Sure. Um, are you spiritual or religious in any ways today? Such a beautiful question. <laughs> you know, um, I, I would say I am spiritual. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm religious. However, I'm very identified with my Jewish heritage as a heritage more than a religion. Um, and growing up, it's interesting. Both of my parents were raised pretty conservative religious Jews. And when my brother died, my father became, became really more devout and my mother completely turned away. And yet they're still married. They're going to be married 60 years this year. That's but and my father's very into it. My mother is very not. Um, and so it's not so much about religion, but it's, it is about just sort of, yeah, feeling, I would say feeling connected, feeling connection. What do you believe happens when it's all over? When our, <laughs> when our time here on earth comes to an end? I'm just going to be honest. I have absolutely no idea. I've witnessed, especially in my years at Hay House, you know, mediums being able to give messages from the other side where I know that there's been nothing rigged and I have been jaw dropped, you know, in, in what I've, in what I've witnessed. Um, and I'm very open to all, you know, to all, all the things. And yet, There's a part, there is a, there's actually the largest part of me that's like, wow, I don't know if I have the energy to do this again. I don't know that I, I don't. And so I wonder about like the, my wanting, how my wanting influences my belief. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that's amazing. I will leave you with this final question. Nancy Levin, how would you like to be remembered? Mm. Oh boy. You know, the first thing that came to me was, is honestly, and I think it's just so on my mind right now, <laughs> but I, but it's really, I want to be remembered really as a boundary badass with grace and love. Wow. Let's cap that in, huh? Amazing. Absolutely extraordinary dialogue, beauty on the inside and out, Nancy. Thank you so much for being here, for opening up as you did. Exceptional dialogue. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in, whether it's to this live broadcast or you're catching this in its native podcast form on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and you're there. Um, leave a review. I'd love to see and hear your thoughts. We're going to do this again before too long. Really appreciate you showing up and spending your time. Until we do it again, go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.